Hi, I'm Anna Rosa Parker. And I'm Daniel Lamb, and this is Artist Inclusive, the podcast for ambitious artists who want to find clarity, community, and creative success. Today, our guest for Artist Inclusive is Brittany Berger. Brittany is a community founder at WorkBrighter.co and a content strategist at BrittanyBerger.com. She has dedicated her career to ending hustle culture and imagining an easier and more accessible way of working. When working with marketers, she helps them deal with the way hustle culture shows up in content marketing to create a more cowbell content mindset by creating less and remixing more. With Work Brighter, she's building a community of people who are ready to redefine their relationships with work, play, and rest. Hey, Brittany, welcome to the Artist Inclusive Podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So I am really excited to talk about all of these things around self-care and energy management and how, you know, we as creatives can sort of take those approaches into our work and our life. But before we do that, can you just talk a little bit about who you are and what you do for listeners who might not already know about you? Sure. Well, my name is Brittany Berger and I run workbrighter.co and we are a digital media company and community that helps people break out of hustle culture and kind of these endless cycles of super productivity and then super burnout and kind of better balance work and rest and find that kind of sweet spot in between extreme productivity and extreme burnout. I think it's so cool what you're doing with, we'll get into it deeper later, but I'm excited to have this conversation with you. The minimalist content. Yeah. So I also, I also do freelance work and consulting work and some teaching stuff under my name brand, BrittanyBurger.com. That is just kind of all of the mindset of work brighter applied specifically to content marketing and kind of just is all of the tactics that I used in my in-house job before I started my own business. Cool. So you were in an in-house in an agency or? I worked at two different SaaS companies. So we were very fast moving, very, I think, kind of similar culture to agency life, if not the same, like kind of workflows and dynamics. But yeah, definitely burnt out after like five years. And I realized I really loved the work I was doing, but I couldn't do it at the pace that was required at startups. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like overlap between like the way marketing agencies function and the way startups function. Cause I was in an agency for about five years too. And I was hitting that brick wall myself of just like, I like writing and doing these things, but everything that like all the hoops and all the pacing is really tough. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're, I don't know if it was, but those in-house agencies also that are kind of, they can be, they can be tough. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. We weren't like technically one of those, but it definitely felt like one sometimes because it kind of felt like I was just in addition to leading the actual content marketing strategy, I was just kind of like the hired wordsmith for the rest of the company as well. So were you like the only like writer, copywriter type person in the room at that point? I wasn't at both companies. I started out that way, but then eventually like worked my way up and had a few writers that I managed, but I kind of taught them. And so it was just kind of like, number one, I was still mentoring them. And so then also like giving them all this extra work outside of their job description didn't 
feel like the right move. And then also I was so focused on trying to like manage their stuff and like make sure that they, it kind of got to a point where I wasn't the one that was writing all of the blog posts anymore. Like they were writing the blog posts. And so even though I was also leading the strategy that supposedly gave me time to also like write this other stuff for this other department. People, I just feel like had a really poor understanding of what went into content marketing, especially from a strategy standpoint. And I I didn't know how to like advocate for myself and stand up for myself then. And so I just kind of went with the grind that was demanded of me. Yeah, it sounds crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like and uh, yeah, it was like 60 hour weeks. And then I was also side hustling, you know, starting what would eventually turn into work brighter. I had a book blog. I was a workaholic. So like the 60 hour work weeks weren't enough. Wow. So you had a burnout then. Yeah, it was it was really bad. I've always had a lot of chronic illness issues, a lot of, you know, disability issues, ankle surgeries, physical therapy, you know, just medical stuff my whole life. I'm not able-bodied. And I didn't really see that or accept that until after this burnout. I was expecting to be working not just as I was expecting myself to work more than, you know, my able-bodied neurotypical peers, expecting to do myself to do more than them and work at a faster pace when in reality, my body, you know, was capable of putting in less work. And so it just eventually got to the point where I feel like I would start out a job hustling, maybe three months in, I would start to like lose some of that steam. And then kind of, you know, every few months, I would have like burnt out week. And it would just kind of that week would keep getting worse until it got to the point where I think in like 2016 was when it got really bad. It was just permanent burnout. But I wasn't getting the message from my body that it was trying to send me. So I wasn't stopping work. I was literally in the hospital working while I was in the ER room. You know, if the doctor wasn't in the room, I was still working. That's wild. Yeah. And it finally got to the point where I realized and accepted that number one, I was too sick to work for a while. A week off or a sick day wasn't enough. I had to actually take a break from my career. And that when I did go back to work, it was not going to be able to be the way that I worked before. And that would also likely mean not being in the kind of company culture that I was in. So that was kind of when I decided to go out on my own. And that if I was able to work again, after I got a little bit healthier, that I would do so in like self-employed capacities instead of trying to fit into all of these company cultures that were just getting more and more hustle focused in the industries I wanted to work in. So I have a question and this may be a selfish question, but as a, as a self-employed person, how do you avoid recreating that, that culture you left, you know, like how do you protect your, your bandwidth and your energy? It's hard. It really is. But I think it's just also paired with in the same time that I've done the self-employment thing, I've also been working on my mental health and my mindset. I've been in therapy. I've been paying much more attention to my body. And like the way that I put it before listening to my body, I really view symptoms as that now as science my body is telling me. So between that, I just I've learned my limits and I respect them in a way that I didn't before. And then also having more control. I used to just not feel like I could say no to anyone, even though I guess people were like, you know, if I was the content manager and the sales manager was asking me a question, technically, you know, within the company hierarchy, I guess we were like equals, but it didn't feel that way because the way content was positioned in the company culture, like as less important as other departments. Mm -hmm. So it just always felt like I was seen as lesser than other people and had to prove my worth and couldn't say no because of that. 
Whereas I think the most immediate impact that going solo had on my energy and my self care was that immediately I didn't feel bad like saying no to certain projects. Like from day one of freelancing full time, I have not taken anywhere near all of the opportunities that come into my inbox in terms of client work. Because I also know that like, yes, like it might bring in this amount of money, but at what cost and what else could I be doing in my business otherwise? So I think that looking at trade-offs also helps me a lot too, both not just in terms of time and money, but also energy. Like earlier this week, someone in a mastermind group was asking me how I felt about doing video again, because I used to publish a lot of YouTube videos and I started it back up earlier this year. And she was asking why I stopped because they she liked them. And I said, it just it wasn't worth it to me energetically, I would have to take a three hour nap after filming sessions that regardless of how it was able to perform for my business, it just wasn't worth it in terms of energy, because it made me miserable. And I can find another marketing tactic that brings in the same results with a lot less misery. Yeah, that's the, you know, and that's the the thing and the pressure and because our podcast is kind of dedicated to that artist mindset and and a lot of artists are so overwhelmed and feel so pressure by showing up on all these different platforms and you're talking about the YouTube. There's it's there's no way we can just show up on all these platforms. So what's what did you decide to do? Like how did you, you decided to give up the YouTube and do you show up somewhere else? And how's that how's that going? I'm not done on YouTube forever because I agree with her. I do think my videos are fun and entertaining. I wish they weren't so hard, but I am back to blogging for now. Blogging and writing is just the content creation form that has always come most natural to me. And I also am always thinking about things in terms of compounding returns and repurposing content. And so one of the things that I really struggled with earlier this year with the YouTube workflow was that with the amount of time I wanted to spend on both scripting and editing to make sure that filming was easy, the two of those both took like several hours each and I didn't have time for both of them. But I am usually remixing or repurposing blog content into other stuff later on anyway. And so the great thing about just kind of looking at it as a pause and being focused on repurposing is that the way that I see it is right now I am doing a sprint of focusing on the blog again. But then once I have this content created, the content that I'm doing on the blog for these next three months, that's then three months of video scripts pretty much done. And so now when I do go back to YouTube, the workflow will be much simpler because I won't have to worry about writing and editing in the same week to produce a weekly video. The content will already have been started. That's amazing. And I mean, we're all about repurposing and remixing or refreshing. Can you tell us like how you do it? Like how do you build it up and and, and lay it out and break it down and because I think this could be really useful to a lot of people. Yeah. So actually, I my approach has been changing a lot recently. And it does go back to energy management and self-care. I feel like back when I was in hustle mode and working in-house, my content workflow was very like sprint focused in that it was focused on like a few times a week sitting down and knocking out a whole piece of long form content. So I wouldn't write every day. I would write maybe like every other day. But when I wrote, I would write 3,000 thousand words. And it's exhausting. You know, there was a reason I could only do that three days a week, because the other two days, you know, like the day after a writing session, I wouldn't have any more energy to write. 
And I, I've kind of stuck with that for a really long time without questioning it. And I'm not sure why anymore. It just, you know, like it was working well enough. It wasn't not working, but it's still, I've realized this year that it could be working a lot better. I would rather create like a little bit of content daily and then do like all of these bigger sprints a few times a week. And so I used to take the approach of, yeah, I would start with like throwing everything in my brain onto the page and I would kind of start big and then break it down. So the first piece of content I would create in like a remix sequence would be like a 2000 word blog post. And then I would break that up into different emails and social media posts and potential videos and things like that. I would break it down after the fact, totally changing that this year and leaning in to writing smaller amounts more frequently. And so my goal lately has been just writing like 300 words per day. That's basically a long Instagram caption or a short email and making that like my daily goal that then comes together into bigger pieces. So instead of sitting down on a Monday and writing a whole long form blog post, instead I might sit down on Monday and outline that post and then say, all right, for the rest of the week, every day, I am going to write one subheading and then turning the subheading into an email or an Instagram caption or something like that. But I'm just really trying to take more of like a kind of a Lego building approach where I have all of these little pieces that can come together in different ways than, you know, having this one piece that I break up into so many finite ways. Like there's more possibility also in addition to being easier. To have it shorter. And then you still break that down to into like social media posts, those 300 words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's really great. I, I tend to suffer from that all or nothing mindset too. When I write, I'm like, okay, hell with it. I'm going to sit down and write literally like 3000 words in a day. And then I'm like, I'm tired. And I don't have any like decision making capital left either. I'm just like, okay, DoorDash it. Yeah. Like even if I'm not publishing every day, which I don't plan on doing, because that is a lot of content. And you know, I'm am the minimalist content marketer, but just writing every day, putting in a little bit of work every day, having the habit and routine around it rather than these big things that burn myself out and just exhaust and is it, do you write just about whatever comes to mind? I mean, are you, is it like industry related? What are you writing in this? It's mostly industry related. I, I feel like I can tie anything back to my industry though. So my style of marketing and content and industry stuff still is very story focused. For example, like the average email for BrittanyBurger.com, it like starts with a story from my life, usually about pop culture I've consumed since that's kind of the brand over there. And then it will go into kind of what that taught me or like what a lesson from that story is about content marketing or how it changed my perspective or something like that. It's usually kind of both. It's just, it's industry focused, but it's very personal and conversational. And if something, I mean, I am starting to get a little bit more, I I don't know how to describe it, but I did kind of create a low key blog for just like my personal thoughts. It's not like connected to like my bigger website or business or products or anything. It's like a super simple blog made out of a notion database. That's like, if I do have any thoughts, that I just really, really want to get out of my mind because I've had some of those lately where they don't, I just, I want to write something about this and it doesn't necessarily fit the content strategy for either of my businesses. I do have a place for that because I just can't keep my virtual mouth shut, but most of it's industry focused. (laughs) 
That's so cool. Well, we have to post the your blog and the show notes too. We want to read all your stuff. Can we back up just a little bit? Because I think there is something in what Anna was asking that I, I'm kind of curious about too, but just like when it comes to creating your content strategy or your content planning, given that you have like your your small daily sprints, are you are you planning your content? Like how far out are you thinking about ideas before you're like writing? Right now, I usually try to plan out content in terms of what gets published on a monthly basis. Yeah. So usually when I do my monthly planning just for the business overall, that includes what content because, you know, everything is also content's always very tied to the business goals as well, like whatever I'm promoting or trying to get increased visibility for. And then I'm trying to get into the habit of outlining on a weekly basis. So like I said before, like on Mondays, outlining all of my content for the week, and then letting that inform the sprints for the rest of the week. So saying a week from today, I want to publish a blog post that has these subheadings or sections or subtopics. So I'm going to write Twitter threads on Twitter every day this week. And those subtopics are going to be the topics of the threads. That's that's so cool. So you're posting every day. That's an yeah, Twitter usually. But that's just an example. Like that might just also mean I'm going to publish a week from today. I want that post to be let's just do easy math here, 3500 words, not that I don't publish much that long, but for math's sake. So if something's like if I want something to be 3500 words, I want to to be published a week from today, I'll try to break it up into 500 word segments and then try to tackle one of those each day. And then, you know, on the final day, I'll load it all into WordPress. Okay. We obviously have to have some kind of a strategy for the social media. I'm so bad at it. I like, I might be on a go and I just post all the time. And then if I'm just kind of drowning in client work or whatever, I just, I don't feel like it. So I don't do it. And that's, obviously not working. Yeah, that's why I'm such a big fan of scheduling and automation. Because one of the advantages of like building a content library and making things easy to remix is that it doesn't take as much energy. So for example, one of the reasons I like doing these Twitter threads is because a lot of times when I do a Twitter thread, it's based on like an old blog post. So it's not even just do you break it down or build it up? It's like both. I love remixing content like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over and over again. But yeah, like Twitter... Like, especially if you've been creating content for like a really long time and there are newer platforms that you're using, then it's like really great. So Twitter threads I found are a great way to to like resurface some of my really old content that wouldn't really get found. Okay. That's 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 so good to hear. I mean, we're gonna have to do it. Get that social media strategy going. Yeah, once you have a thread, you can also like schedule like retweets of it or something like that. I personally use Meet Edgar, but there's a lot of other things. But yeah, so I never send a social update like usually unless I'm like testing it and then I'm waiting to see if it gets engagement and if I want to use it again. But yeah, like the the WorkBrighter Instagram strategy is actually probably the best example I have of that because I have posted almost daily for two years on that channel and I don't think I really ever wrote original content for it. It was always remixed from either the blog or my newsletter. And then in addition, I had tons of posts that I would just repost. That's really how I built the work brighter brand and like the brand values, how I communicated that was by posting the same like posts about our values over and over again. And I was able to just for Instagram, I use buffer and like I would just go through and when I would do my social media scheduling for the week, I would do it all by just clicking rebuffer of past posts. Nice. So I have a question that's kind of 
it's related. They're all related, right? So like, say we were going to do something like this, like what advice would you give to someone who was just getting started out in terms of building like, say like a minimum viable content library that they wanted to start remixing and using across different channels? Like how much content do you need to get started? You only need one post, really, because my my kind of outlook now is I, it's a pain that I created so much content without ever remixing and repurposing it. So, you know, if you have one piece of content, make sure to remix and repurpose it and get it all ready to be easy to do that in the future before you create your second. Get these systems in place from the start. I wish I could. And it can be like, you know, several months old. You yeah, know, you exactly. Sitting in your, you know, collecting web dust, then you just bring it out and chop it and <laughs> spice exactly. it and put some sprinkles on it and zazum. Yeah. And honestly, the older, the better. I just recently updated a five-year-old blog post because it was embarrassing. It was so old. Yeah. <laughs> but but the topic was still relevant. So I fixed that. And so you think, you know, as a marketer, do you think that every industry, particularly, you know, artists, do you believe in that? We should always be just out there and, and con- constantly building authority and just try to be a part of the, the whole game? I have complicated feelings about playing the game, the game being capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got to play it, but I'm not trying to win it. So I think that be I feel like getting in touch with like what you actually want and what you actually need in life is kind of good about that. Because it's like I am not trying to play the game most professional, most entrepreneurs are. I, I know that I'm not trying to win that game. I've got my own game that I'm the only player of. So you're aligned with your goal. You're like, you feel like you're aligned with it now with your you're working for yourself and you're not overextending yourself for someone else's sake, but you're still showing up and delivering good work. Yeah. Like I've accepted, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to be the person who has the super impressive launch numbers and revenue numbers and stuff like that. But I am the person who is going to have like the super fun business that I'm not tired of. I might not be able to outsource so much work that I am only working two or three days per week, but I don't hate the work I'm doing so much that I want to outsource it. So I know where I am and it's hard. I don't always know where I am. I I, I do have to remind myself. That's good. That's a good place to know where you are. So in terms of creating your vision, this is definitely not stuff we discussed talking about, but I think it bears some discussion here because I think for a lot of us, I think that the, the marketing world mirrors the entertainment world in a lot of ways around things like status and visibility. Like you're saying these like things like launch numbers that could be just like, Oh, we were on tour with this band or you know what? I was on this show with this big actor or I got to work with this really cool director. You know, I think it's, it's important that we decide what those goals look like. Cause for a lot of men in the entrepreneur space, it's all like, bros and tank tops and Lamborghinis and lots of scantily clad women around. And that's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old and I have a family and a bunch of cats and dogs. And that's, I mean, like I dress like a lumberjack. And so like that image of, of success doesn't gel for me at all. And, and neither does the, I just hang out on the beach and outsource all of my work. Like neither of those, those messages works for me. Yeah. The working on the beach. I just, I, I cannot, you know what sand does to a laptop? I've never, mm, I could never work on a beach. It's what laptops crave. <laughs> I am way too anxious for that. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get, get pool, some poisoning out work. here. Oh, the pool does work. Yeah. Balcony yeah. too. I, I work out on my balcony a lot. That's nice. 
No, that's good. What you're saying, Daniel. And then all that also goes into, you know, that's what we should also never do is to compare ourselves to the rest of the elite of each industry. But it's, it's really hard not to sometimes like, wow, okay, they're there. Yeah. Speaking of entertainment, I was thinking about recently how when I was younger, I used to think that like when a Hollywood actor would then go do a lot of indie movies that it was like, oh, they couldn't, they couldn't get a Hollywood movie. They had to go do an indie one. But like, that's actually the opposite of how it usually was. It was usually like, oh, this actor has made enough money and had enough traditional success that they now have like the freedom to go do the cool indie movie that they wanted to do. And how a lot of times like you also, oh, this was something that I was thinking of with uh, the reboot of I Carly happening right now and the one character that's not coming back because the actor quit acting she doesn't want to do it but some of the old fans were like so offended that they like replaced her instead of trying to bring her back and they like took it as like an offense it's like no she's out doing what she wants to do it's just not what most people think an actress would want to do yeah exactly there are just so many different pictures of it and i feel like we've come a little bit further in that just as human beings to get out of that box a little bit and just you know allow us to be ourselves and and see the different patterns of things that success does not come in one kind of version so yeah to transition just a little bit because i completely agree and i think we could talk about like vision and mindset and success forever but in terms of staying in line with whatever we've decided that we want to do for ourselves and for our businesses. One of the things that you teach inside Work Brighter is about energy management. So I was hoping that you could kind of talk about what it is and like how we might practice it so that regardless of what we're doing professionally, that we're able to create a way of working that's more sustainable. Yeah, I kind of would define energy management as prioritizing uh, your body before your like time or your income because your body is required for anything related to the other two things. A lot of productivity and work advice starts with things like time management or project management, but you don't know the best time to schedule a task for if you don't know your own energy. Going back to the ways that I just used to ridiculously burn myself out working in-house, I used to batch my phone calls because that's a common piece of productivity advice. However, I have extremely low energy and I am an introvert. So what would happen would be after call days, I would just be exhausted the next. And, you know, by even by the end of the call day, you know, the calls towards the end of the day, I would not be able to show up well because I wasn't managing my energy well. I was just trying to, you know, make my calendar look tidy, but that wasn't actually what was working for me. And so now kind of having a consistent call call window that's open every day at the same time. And I have one call a day, always at the same time, fits into my routine way easier. And so I kind of like to look at energy management. It's using your own energy patterns and rhythms as kind of a filter for all of the other advice out there. So I could have heard the batch calls advice and put it through the advice of, well, given this other stuff that you know about yourself. Like back then, I probably could have done like maybe two smaller batches per week or something like that if I had known that earlier that those calls were exhausting me. I love that. I love that you uh, figure that out. I'm just trying to think like how how do we even start 
figuring out our energy management if we're just going to DIY that. Yeah, I like to call it an energy investigation. I have information about this at WorkBrighter. I've got blog posts, video, like a free download, a course. So all of the energy management stuff over there to check out. But yeah, it just it starts with becoming more self-aware of your energy. And that's really that's most of it, actually. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's like step one step, you know, it's every other step. And so you can do that through tracking. I have made energy trackers for Notion, Airtable, Google Sheets. I'm working on a mobile web app because just remembering to check in with yourself every few hours and asking yourself, how do I feel in these kind of different areas? The areas that I recommend measuring are your energy, your productivity, and your mood. That way you can kind of see how those three things interact with each other and you can start seeing trends form after a week or so. Oh, that's incredible. I can't wait for that app to come out. When is that? When are you launching the app? I don't know. (laughs) I have learned that with my own energy, not to give people hard (laughs) deadlines if I don't have them. (laughs) But until then, we can use the... The other versions, yeah. Okay. There are other versions on the website. I'm going to do that. Awesome. That was going to be the next question, actually, which was like, tell us where to find it. When you already said. <laughs> I stole the question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can go to the, there is the Brighter Guide to Energy Management over on the blog. The Energy Tracker and the Energy Effect course are both linked in that. Okay. I love that. You know, Anna, I really am glad we got a chance to have Brittany on today. I joined her WorkBrighter group and I learned a lot about systems of self-care and like self-management that were sort of contrary to a lot of the type A stuff that's out there. But you know, the biggest thing that really struck me about our conversation, because we ended up talking a lot about you know, content creation and like, you know, building your authority, you know, and whatever you do. And one of the mindset blocks that I have gotten into the the block of getting started because it's when we look at other people you know we check out their Instagram we go to their website and they've got tons of articles or tons of really good carousel posts and videos and it's like holy crap how do I get there and and Brittany gave the most obvious piece of advice how to get started make one thing whether that's an article or a video or a post and then take that one thing and make more things from it that was the the advice I needed to hear this week because again so easy to fall into the comparison trap and get overwhelmed and then fail to get started i still hear that and i mean like how she was talking about repurposing her content was so is so aligned with i think artist inclusive repurpose a lot of because people have a lot of content and material and it's just how you edit it and how you share it and put little for example an actor can just take a what a glimpse of the real and, and show or the from an episode, a TV episode, you know what I mean? Like you can, all your content, what whatever you do, you can definitely break it down and repurpose it. And I just loved how she so has that down. It was, it was really cool to hear that. Also so admirable how she, you know, she leads with energy management and I'm so into that energy tracker. I haven't started that, but I, I am on her list and I get her emails and I'm going to start to track my energy. 
So I've actually done that and I can, I can say that it's very valuable to know that before I came across Brittany, I had done a course called Reset by Jocelyn K. Gly. And one of the exercises in Reset was around figuring out your chronotype, your energetic type. So like, are you an early bird, a night owl, a midday? mastodon, whatever. But it was really about journaling out your energy flows throughout the course of a few days. And what I learned was that there's times of day that I'm naturally more, my brain is more active and more creative. And then there's times of day when I'm kind of sluggish and, you know, sort of dull and sort of mapping that out has allowed me to kind of tailor my schedule around when I should be writing, when I should be on calls or meetings, and when I should be researching. Just like all those different kinds of things kind of map to those different stages of my brain activity and my energy levels. And so the other cool thing about it is just knowing like what tasks cost more energetically. It was really mind, like just like oh, mind opening for me because I, I hadn't thought of it that way that she kind of leads with her body and her energy management versus the jobs and the projects and, you know, she puts herself, she's learned how to do that. And she spoke about not being able body and she really has figured out, it's really admirable what, what she's done with that. And there's a lot to learn from her. I think it's going to be one of her started to the energy tracking. I'm, I'm, I've never heard about that. It's pretty cool. And there's so many ways you can apply it, you know, whether that's like blocking time at certain times of the day or blocking time at certain times of the week, you know, like maybe there's certain days that you do different types of work depending on priority or the energy expense. I know for me, like if I have a day that's really stacked with calls, I'm almost useless the day after. It takes a lot out of me as an introvert to, you know, have four or five, six hours worth of video time, phone time. So I think the the takeaway for me is like, how do I move forward and like manage to those constraints, right? Yeah, and she talked about that too, you know, being an introvert, you know, we all are here and I've learned that like, you know, blocking out Monday because there's some kind of a, I don't love having calls on Mondays. I don't know. Maybe it's the transition into the week and I get so overwhelmed sometimes and I don't want to show up overwhelmed on calls. So I, I know that, but I think there's so much more to, to learn from, from Brittany and just break it down and see what works and doesn't work for you in more detailed strategically. Yeah. And I'll add one last thing. And this is something that just kind of came to me, but going back to that idea of repurposing, it's not just something we can do with our content, but it's also something we can do in our working life. So I'll give you an example. Like, you know, I'm a trained musician. I used to play gigs and do a lot of work in performance. After I became professional writer, I didn't do quite as much with music, but then getting into podcasting, I was able to repurpose a skill set and start creating intro music for podcasts. And I think that in a similar way, as artists, we could, for visual artists, maybe we could be taking some of our art and repurposing that into, you know, digital content or just all these other types of things. And, you know, for the artists out there, you know, maybe that is using things like reels and clips to promote a teaching offer or a workshop or an event, you know, if you're hosting a live event or something like that. So there's so many ways I think that we can take maybe the things that we look at as, hey, I'm good at this thing, but I'm not using it as effectively as possible and just look at other ways to apply it. Absolutely. I love that. 
The Artist Inclusive Podcast is brought to you by the Artist Inclusive Facebook group and artistinclusive.com. Learn more about Artist Inclusive at our website or join our free Facebook group. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts and share this message with somebody that you think would enjoy this podcast. This is how you're able to reach more engaged and impactful artists just like you. 